Hello, it's Bernard Nomberg with the Nomberg Law Firm in Birmingham, Alabama. Thank you for stopping by our monthly podcast, Work Comp Today. My business partner and brother, David, and I host a program each month with a guest practitioner from different parts of the country, and we discuss the current news involving employers, employees, and independent contractors. Thank you for tuning in to this month's episode. Zach Schmoll with the Fields Law Firm in Minnesota is our guest, and we have a discussion that deals with the pandemic, with the gig economy, and so many other timely issues. Thank you for stopping by the Work Comp Today podcast. If you like this episode of Work Comp Today and want to hear future episodes, please consider subscribing to our channel. We put these episodes out each month, about a week to 10 days after they're live on YouTube. Also, it would really help us out if you would consider giving us a five-star review and rating, and we would sure appreciate it. Thank you again for tuning in to Work Comp Today. guys welcome to another monthly episode of work comp today i'm bernard nomberg with the nomberg law firm in birmingham alabama and of course i've got dave my youngest brother and business partner dave how's your world today bud hello doing great as usual just happy to be here i know <laughs> no complaints and we've got our guest out of Minnesota with the Fields Law Firm, Zach Schmoll. And Zach, thank you for making some time and being with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And as we do, we do this monthly. We've been doing it for about a little over, right at two years now. We have guests each month and we talk about the topics that impact employers, employees, independent contractors, just anything dealing with employment. Most of the time it deals with work comp measures or issues, but we do talk about other impacts and things. But Zach, before we head into our itinerary, if you would share a little bit about your practice and your firm. Yeah, absolutely. So we are, uh, we're actually a national firm. We're headquartered out of Minneapolis. Um, my individual practice, I focus on workers' compensation, personal injury, and uh, we handle ERISA long-term disability claims all over the country. Um, we have about 23 attorneys. Um, and yeah, I mean, everything we do is about helping individuals um, deal with some type of injury. Um, usually, you know, going up against a, a big company on the other side. Well, that is how we also have made our mark. And Dave, what uh, what's new? at the firm that you want to share? Is there anything new to share what's going on? Uh, just continuing to help injured workers with work comp claims in Alabama. That's it. That has been keeping us busy. Uh, we've got several cases uh, that we're getting ready for trial, several cases getting ready for mediation as well. So uh, a lot going on uh, here and we're staying busy. Well, it only took us until three minutes into this week's episode to talk about the impact of the pandemic. Of course, we thought by now we'd be done with it, but it's not going away anytime soon, unfortunately. But it is, it's true. Our firm and Zach's firm, I'm sure, even though we've got the hurdles, we've got the issues dealing with the pandemic, we figured out a way to help our clients, to represent those who get hurt on the job, get hurt in automobile accidents or whatever parts of life and they're, they're injured due to no fault of their own, or it could be in Alabama, at least we have a no fault statute. Zach, do y'all have a no fault uh, pro, uh, part of your work comp laws there? Yeah, in Minnesota, it doesn't matter whose fault it was. Um, if you're injured at work, it's a work injury. There's, you know, there's obviously some exceptions or some exclusions to that. Um, but for the most part, it, it doesn't matter. Zach, a common, common thing that I deal with, and I'm sure you do as well, and I want to ask you about this, clients will begin to try to explain how they got injured, and they will begin 
explaining how it was someone else's fault or they knew about something or the company knew this or didn't fix that. And what I explained to them is in a work comp case in Alabama, it, it doesn't matter who is at fault and it doesn't make the case more valuable. It doesn't enhance the value of the case for someone to be at fault. If we're talking just about a work comp case, is it the same thing in Minnesota? Yep. It's exactly the same. It's called the exclusive remedy doctrine. So you don't have a separate claim for negligence against the employer. Um, the, the case law is really unfavorable for injured workers in that regard, but at the same time, then the employer doesn't, get to make a contributory negligence defense against the injured worker too. Yeah. Fun fact, Dave, I think you know this, but most of the Alabama Work Comp Act and the codified from 92 and even before that were followed or patterned after Minnesota's work comp law. I suspect That's right. several states adapted Minnesota's. Uh, if you read the, the, the treatise that most of us in our industry know, the Larson on work comp, you'll notice that Minnesota gets credited with several states uh, having taking the, the Minnesota's lead. Uh, Zach, I didn't know if you knew any of that history, but I've always had a had a knowledge that uh, Minnesota's kind of paved the way for several states in that area. Yeah, I knew some of that. You know, we definitely we don't have it all figured out, and it's not perfect. Um, <laughs> there's no great place to get injured, that's for sure. No, there's not. And believe me, we, we don't blame Minnesota when our laws are bad either. We right. blame those who created our laws or got them passed. But uh, guys, let's we're we're one week away from football season really starting in earnest in, in college. And while we could talk about that for an hour, the name of the program is Work Comp Today, not College Football Today. We may get back to that at the end of our program. But let's let's start on our articles. We've got some great uh, information to share this week. And of course, one of the most popular topics that we've talked about deals with the gig economy, the, the Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, you name it, the side jobs for some, the main jobs for others. There's been a radical uh, decision making and laws changed in California back in 2019. And Zach, this judge just recently ruled in California that it's unconstitutional, the measure classifying Uber and Lyft drivers as contractors. He found that Prop 22 is unenforceable. And of course, that sets Uber and Lyft all up in arms. What did you take from this article? And do you have any predictions where this is going to go? Because it's not going to leave us anytime soon. It's going to be a while before this gets resolved. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, my, my first thought is just I think there's a, a staggering amount of money from the business side that's interested in, in uh, an outcome that favors them. And, you know, I, I, I can see both sides. I, I do. I think that the workers, the, the potential employees, if you will, are missing out on a lot of benefits that would be available and mandatory um, if they were doing a lot of other jobs. But, you know, there is also an element of flexibility with these jobs that's really un unparalleled with a more traditional job, too. So it's it's interesting. David, did you notice where the representative, I think, from Uber said, you know, we're really kind of doing this for for the workers. They really want this. They prefer it this way. What a load of crap. Yeah. What do you, do you think any of this is going to change? Do you, where do you think this is? Is this going to end up in Washington, D.C.? I guess is the question. Well, I, that I don't know, but it is, as Zach mentioned, I, Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash spent $200 million uh, for this in this campaign. And so, I mean, you know, it's in, you know, they want it really bad when they're spending that much money. And that's just what's reported. I mean, probably spent more than that. But I, I don't know where it's headed. I, I, you know, as the article discusses, and as we as work comp lawyers who represent injured workers, you know, we want employees to have basic benefits, okay? We want them to have workers' comp insurance. We want them to have minimum wage and health insurance and sick leave and job protections. Um, and this, in a sense, this amendment was taking those rights away because it was classifying them as independent contractors. Yeah. Zach, I know that you guys have DoorDash and Lyft, like all states do. 
but do you have any local to Minnesota uh, gig economy type businesses that this could impact that are maybe just local to you guys? You know, I don't know if any of the ones we have here are, are specific to us, are local to us. I mean, I see them every once in a while. Uh, a company will, will use maybe a new uh, vendor or uh, delivery thing or, you know, there's a shipped shopper or something. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know if those are local or national. It, it seems like if it is a small local thing, it would, it would get eaten up by the big ones pretty quickly. I was going to say, I know that you guys have Target, I think is headquartered near you. Yep. Uh, we have Shipped is actually headquartered in downtown Birmingham. And so we see, we do see a lot of folks wearing the green Shipped uh, shirts in our grocery stores. But Alabama certainly is not going to follow the lead of California, well, frankly, of most any other state. But we're hoping that you're going to share that Minnesota has seen the light and has more progressive than than good old Alabama on issues like this or do you guys follow really what's more the national trend like we do yeah we do follow more of the national trend I'm not aware of anything um in in process that's changing that um you know obviously I could I could be wrong on that but there's a variety of factors that go into determining if somebody's an independent contractor and I think that um those factors in general would would have these types of jobs uh qualifying somebody as an independent contractor versus an employee. You know, if this is, is so good for these workers as Uber's trying to have you to believe, why are they fighting it so much? Well, likely because of liability issues, likely because everything would be more expensive for them. For example, right now, if you drive for say one of these companies, you have to have your own automobile policy but most of those policies don't have a rider. They have an exclusion. Yep. It says if you're working on the job when you get in an accident, we're not, your insurance isn't going to be the frontline carrier. So it leaves, in a sense, unless there's other policies that are added to it or riders that are added for coverage, it leaves the driver naked, so to speak, unprotected. To me, that's one of the big issues right there. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I don't think they spend $200 million fighting it if it would cost them less to just provide the benefits that they would otherwise be required to provide. Yeah. yeah. Well, Zach, let's, let's move on to the next article. And I want to talk, before we jump into this Florida telecommuting article, what, from your firm's perspective, do you guys have any version of remote working or telecommuting for your firm? Yeah, we actually have most people set up to still work remotely. Mm -hmm. um, we do have some people, we've always had some people on site. Um, so we have about 80 people total at our firm. Um, and, and for a long time, we had just like maybe six or seven people on site. You know, there's certain things that can't be done remotely. Mm -hmm. um, so that way people were able to be here, be here safely. You know, I, w I was on site, but we go weeks kind of without seeing each other. <laughs> Everyone's just kind of holed up in their office. So, yeah, um, yeah we still maintain um, kind of a, a hybrid, if you will, where some people, if they if they want to, they feel comfortable. We are set up to have people on site, but we're not, you know, requiring people to be on site. So we're, we're set up to kind of navigate what seems to be an ever changing fluid situation. Dave, what, uh, how are you feeling about what we've been doing for what over 18 months now? Yeah, you know, it seems to be working. Um, we have one assistant who can work in the office and work at home. And then, um, we're, Zach, we're a lot smaller in size than you guys. So we, uh, we just come to our office every day since this all started and just shut our doors and work behind closed doors. And we're, we're still doing our, uh, our office meetings every week on, on Zoom, even though we're here at our office, uh, you know, all within about 20 feet of each other. But we that way we're just not sitting in the same conference room together. Uh, but it hasn't slowed down. We, we continue to do depositions through, uh, through Zoom. We mediate through Zoom and we're doing intakes over the phone and through virt uh, you know, uh, electronic signing. So we're just trying to keep people out of the office right now as much as we can to keep us uh, keep us and our family safe. 
Um, it does, does, um, I don't know. It's still, even though we're 18 months into this, I think most people prefer to be in person, but you just keep pushing forward. And articles like this, what the telecommuting trend could mean for Florida workers' comp claims. Although this article is back in April, I, I think it could have been written in August. I don't think this is going to change anytime soon. And it, and it could be, and it's applicable to any state, not just Florida. That's what I was just getting ready to say. Zach, have you guys handled any telecommuting work uh, injuries where somebody's been hurt either working in their home office or somewhere outside of the traditional brick and mortar location? You know, not, uh, not anything comes to mind for those since the, the pandemic started. I mean, you know, definitely have handled claims where someone's in a, a different setting other than their normal employment setting. But yeah, these are going to present really unique and I think really fact specific, uh, nuanced uh, analysis to see if it's a compensable claim or not. My guess is that most of them get denied from from the start and then it's kind of working your way through it from there. Yeah, I think you're, you're dead on that it is very fact specific. In fact, David, there's this 2016 case that you and I are familiar with where the claims yeah. adjuster was hurt and it was initially uh, denied, but then turned. But Dave, what are those scenarios? I'm kind of putting you on the spot a little bit because he and I, David and I gave a seminar talk last year on this very topic. Yeah. What were the three most common, if you remember that? Yeah, so we, Zach, we analyzed all the cases uh, where someone was hurt working at home. And I think there was about a, about 12 reported cases uh, nationwide since 2000. So not too many to analyze, but most of the cases involve uh, three scenarios, uh, going up and down stairs, um, ice in the driveway or sidewalk as they went to get the mail or they were walking back to their house or car. And then the third involved the family pet, just like this uh, case here that we looked at. The family pet was involved in several cases. Um, so stairs, ice, and the family pet make up the bulk of uh, how these injuries were occurring at home. And it's, Zach, it, it, it looks like that whether it's Florida, Minnesota, Alabama, it doesn't matter the state. I think what you said a minute ago, instinct is probably going to be, we need to deny this claim and then figure it out after the fact. So just because it happens at home doesn't make it compensable. But it's, it's at least in Alabama, it's the same main two analysis, legal causation and medical causation. And if that this scenario with this claims adjuster, if this happens in Minnesota, how does it, or is it a compensable claim in your opinion? It's tough. I mean, this is the one where they're reaching for the coffee or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, over her dog during work hours. And the issue that went before the judge of claims, I guess that's how they do it, ultimately gave the opinion that the claimant was partaking in personal comfort and was still in the course and scope of employment. Yeah, that seems like a, seems like a harsh decision to me, uh, taking, taking uh, part in personal comfort. We all have a cup of coffee or tea or water or whatever it is you drink while you're working. Um, so, you know, I, I guess what I thought was interesting about it was maybe if they're in the office, the, the dog's not there. So like the dog's not really a part of the work environment, but then it, it kind of becomes part of the work environment if they're approved to work mm -hmm. from home. So it's an interesting analysis. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that it was denied from, from the onset, I guess. Wow. Dave, you've seen, I bring up my dogs up here from time to time. What happens if that same scenario occurs in the office but I trip over the dog going to get one of my Coke Zeros. Hmm. I would first have you drug tested. <laughs> I think you're probably going to have to call Dave and have him help you with that or a comp claim. Yeah, we, well, I tell you, Zach, we may end up having to call our mother who works literally next door to us in the next business uh, uh, right across the street here from us to come mediate, whatever that might be. But 
you know, whether it's at home or in the workplace, I still think the legal causation, medical causation tests both have to still be met. Right. Regardless if it's a pet or not. But got to show course and scope of employment. Mm -hmm. What if I'm walking? Here we go. What if I'm here at the office, but I'm walking the dog so they can take a pee break before we come back into the building? Then I get hurt. I fall off the curb. That may not be compensable. Yeah, probably not. No, unless, you know, <laughs> unless we're talking about a service animal, but obviously yours are not service animals. But right. yeah, that's probably it. That's probably not a compensable I think that you're right. I think that's a little more a feel. But guys, we're talking, it's Alabama. No, we no longer call it that. Sorry, it's just work comp today. We've got attorney and fellow Willig member, Zach Schmoll from Minnesota with the big fields firm. We want to welcome Zach. We've been talking for a little bit. We've run through a couple of articles here. Dave, if you if you don't mind, talk a little bit about, we usually introduce what WILG is because we're all members and have this great network. Tell a little bit a little bit about those who may not know, what is that organization that we belong to? Sure. Uh, so WILG is the Workers Injury Law Advocacy Group. It is comprised of lawyers who represent people who've been hurt at work um, uh, or handle social security disability claims. It, it's people that get hurt in uh, also uh, uh, you know, whether it's a federal claim or a state claim. Um, so it's all lawyers that help people who've been hurt at work. Um, more than a thousand members nationwide. Um, really good support system for lawyers who have, uh, who need help with uh, claims in, in different states. We've met a lot of new lawyers uh, that we're able to work with uh, in, on cases in other states. So, if you're a, a work comp lawyer and do a lot of work comp, uh, then I highly recommend the organization. I know that it's helped us become better lawyers, and uh, we have made a lot of new friends along the way. That's how we came across Zach, I think, through the listserv. Zach, how long have you been part of WILG, and have, have you uh, attended conferences or done anything with the organization? Uh, yeah, I, I think I've been in WILG like, four years maybe um i presented at the conference last fall um yeah it's a tremendous resource uh there's a lot there's nuances from one state to another you know work comp is, is state specific in terms of what's covered how's it covered but there are a lot of issues that we all face uh that are the same issues um and the laws are very similar and so having uh, an entire nation of resources like you guys and like the other attorneys in it it's has been invaluable for the last few years it, it really has dave's been in longer than i and he's always touted how much of a benefit to him and our practices yep but uh, guys let's let's keep going forward we're coming to to zach's home state and the title is minneapolis police workers comp claims have skyrocketed and this is from june of earlier this year but I suspect that uh, things haven't changed a whole lot. But uh, Zach, what what about your firm? Have you all dealt with these types of claims? And uh, did you see anything in the article that really struck a chord with you? Yeah, we've seen a few of them. It's actually, you know, one interesting takeaway is the impact of this is not just on police officer or uh, uh, public servant claims that people have, it has actually affected, uh, in my opinion, claims for any any injured workers for the city of Minneapolis because it's all kind of it's all the same fund that's paying it, mm -hmm. and so I've gotten that feedback on claims where, you know, we think we've kind of got it close to a resolution, and it's it's tough to get a, a deal done on it because they're they've got all this stuff going on with um with the mass exodus and um just all the different claims that are being made. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of moving parts to it. It affects the police officers, obviously they've been through a lot, um, but it, it affects essentially all city of Minneapolis workers. Dave, if, do we have a similar 
type fund for the city of Birmingham? Yeah, I believe we do. I believe the city claims are, are, are uh, managed by a third party, mm -hmm. um, but it's, uh, I believe the city is self-insured, much like the uh, city of Minneapolis. So it's taxpayer, essentially taxpayer money. And Zach, before we can have, in Alabama, you can either go through the court system or through the ombudsman program, which is part of the Department of Labor, to finalize a work comp claim, regardless of, of the employer, as long as it's a state of Alabama employer, not, excuse me, not a state entity, but an employer in our state that's not federal or state government. You, you go through one of those two programs, either through the court system or through the ombudsman. But if you have a city of Birmingham claim, it has to then be approved by the city council or the commission. Do you all have, do you have to jump through that extra hoop before yep. you can finalize it? Same thing here. So a, a workers' compensation settlement in Minnesota needs to be approved by a workers' compensation judge. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, any city of Minneapolis claim, it has to go before the Minneapolis City Council and get that formal approval. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you might leave a mediation with a deal in place, but if you might, you might be waiting 30, 60 days, maybe longer um, before the council and the finance committee can, can approve it. Have you ever had one that's gone before them and not be approved? I haven't, I have not had anything not get approved. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, most of them, I guess, do, do get, uh, for those claims are getting mediated. And so I think if you, I, my guess, I don't know, I've never, uh, worked on what I call the dark side of, of, uh, these claims, the defense, but, um, my guess is if you're going to them and saying, you know, both parties are represented, we've mediated with a mediator that's been doing this for 35 years. They, they kind of listen to the people that are in the trenches doing it. Yeah, Dave, have you ever had one? I, I've never had one not approved. Uh, By the council? Yeah. yeah. No, no, I don't think so. Just just our luck. One of the three of us will probably now have our next one not approved for some reason. <laughs> but anyway, you're right. I think that it looks like it's just added just a little bit more difficulty for you guys if you have claims with the city of Minneapolis right now. But um We'll keep an eye on that and maybe have to come back in a year and see if there's been any change. But guys, let's move on to our fourth and final article for this month. Del and, and I don't think this is just going to apply to Delta. I think this is the tip of the iceberg right here. Just so happens to be with one of the bigger employers in our country. Delta Airlines says unvaccinated workers must pay extra for health care. And I think that this is going to be across the board. I don't think Delta is unique. Zach, did you get a chance to either review this or have you heard other large employers come with the same policy? It, this is the first I've heard of it. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot going around about employer mandates and and all that. So. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg of it with the FDA approval of the vaccines. I think that paves the way for, for places to, to do things like this uh, or, or just an outright mandate for it in the first place. Dave, we're an at-will employment state. If you don't follow the rules of your employer about being vaccinated and you don't have either religious or disability protection. What can happen if you don't get vaccinated? If you refuse, uh, you're you can be fired by your employer. If your employer requires its employees to have vaccine to be vaccinated, and without a valid medical reason or religious reason exemption, um, then the, you can be fired, and that's it. Because we're in, your employment is at will in Alabama. Zach, are y'all considered an at-will employment state as well? Yep, we are. Any different response from David's response if this occurs in your state? No, I, you know, I think it's going to be employer specific on how that gets handled. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm, yeah, I think it's just, it's kind of a wait and see thing, but I, I do think that with the FDA approval, a mandate probably gets held up, um, 
as, as something perfectly fine for an employer to do. And then, yeah, like Dave said, if you're not complying with the requirement, um, you're subject to termination. What do you guys think is going to now happen to insurance premiums, if anything? Do you think they go up? Do you think they go down? I mean, I can't imagine them going down, but I think that's going to be the big fight over this next six to 12 months with people still refusing. And there's still a pretty high percentage. I don't have the figures, but just watching the news, there's still a lot of people out there who are not convinced that they need to be vaccinated, whether it's politicized or for whatever the reason that doesn't matter for these purposes, but you're still going to have these arguments in the employment setting. Zach, somebody comes to you with this situation and they don't want to be vaccinated, but it's a Minnesota or Minneapolis based employment setting. What do you tell your folks? What do you tell these these clients? I'm not getting vaccinated, but I've been working for this company for 32 years. Is there anything else you can tell them? Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I think you got to seriously consider the vaccine or, or probably start looking for a different place to work. Yeah. At least have that in your head that that's a possibility. Yeah. You know, what if, and I'm just obviously creating some scenarios here, but if you work with the public as opposed to remotely, or even you work at, in, in a back of a warehouse by yourself, at some point or another, you're still coming in contact with the public. And I, I think that it gives the employers enough of a pause to have to make financial decisions. I don't see any other way around it. I don't care what your politics may be or what your position may be from a medical standpoint. Don't employers, Zach, don't employers have the right to make decisions how they run their business as long as it doesn't violate federal or state law? Right. Yeah, absolutely. But what if that employee read on Facebook that they shouldn't take the vaccine because it was dangerous? So can they rely on the Facebook doctors to get out of that? <laughs> I think we all know the answer to that. But I want to read this to you from the article, guys. Delta said it would stop providing paid leave starting September 30th to workers who become infected. The airline said it will also require unvaccinated workers to undergo weekly testing beginning September 12th and to wear masks in all indoor settings. Now, if I'm an anti-vaccination person working for Delta, I take the position, you're punishing me. You're, you're doing this to run me off. Well, isn't the argument, Zach, by Delta saying what we just said, we're doing this for the safety and welfare of the majority. If you want your employment, you need to follow our rules. Right. Is there anything that a worker has options wise other than to quit at this point if they're not going to get vaccinated? Yeah, I, I can't think of any. I mean, it is a, it's a tough situation, you know, with the virus and I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not qualified to say I understand how the virus works and all that, but it does, it seems like it's something that's going to be with us for a long time. Um, you know, like the flu or like anything else. So it's a, uh, it, I'm hopeful that we find resolutions to these situations that work on a long-term basis, obviously. Zach, in, in most states in the South, we have lots of poultry, lots of processing plants that provide food all over the country. I know that you guys do in Minnesota as well. And in fact, isn't it the state of, isn't it in Minnesota where there was a 900 and some odd cases denied can you share a little, you have some plant. knowledge about that? Yep, that was out of pork plants, I believe. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, an outbreak. I mean, obviously the conditions in a lot of those places are, are less than ideal from the, the worker standpoint, close quarters, lots of people, lots of contacts. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good example of, uh, you know, the, the far reaching impact if, if a whole plant goes down, if everybody's got sick and, you know, how many people die from that situation, it's, it can be tragic. 
Do you know if any of those claims are now being, well, I know they're being litigated, but if any of them come to a conclusion or you, is your firm involved in any of that? Um, I don't believe we had any of those. Um, you know, I would guess that I, if my recollection is correct. I think that was fairly early on mm -hmm. um, into the pandemic last year. So my guess is that a lot of those claims are resolved, but you know, obviously we still don't know everything about COVID and the long-term impacts on it too, so. Yeah, I'm looking back at our notes because we've talked about this uh, a couple of different months. We were talking about this last April. Right. So over, well over a year, almost a year and a half ago. Um, well, guys, those are our articles of, of interest for this week, but before, I mean, this month. But before we get out of here, one of the other things that we like to do, Zach, is, is to kind of do a comparison with our Alabama laws within the work comp uh, setting and, and our codified set of laws and compare them to, to the guest's home state, yours being Minnesota. And as we said earlier, Minnesota kind of paved the way for Alabama's laws. So I bet there's some familiarities, but I bet there's also going to be a lot of differences. Dave, why don't you lead us off and let's talk about mileage reimbursement. What does that mean in the context of the work comp world in Alabama? Sure. So uh, when the injured worker goes to the uh, authorized doctor, uh, hospital, or for physical therapy or to the pharmacy to pick up medication, uh, they will be reimbursed uh, for their mileage. Um, and that's reimbursed at about, I think we're up to about 58, 59 cents a mile now. Um, and the injured worker just has to uh, provide that information to work comp, and then they'll get a reimbursement check for it. But Dave, what if they go to doctors on their own or go to an appointment that hasn't been approved? Yeah, that's not going to be reimbursed by work comp. It has to be the authorized physician, the authorized physical therapist, the authorized uh, medical provider. All right, one last little spin before we throw it to Zach. What if payment, excuse me, not payment, what if uh, a, a driver, Lyft, taxi, whatever has been arranged to pick up and deliver and bring, bring back home from the appointment. Is there any reimbursement or payment there? So if work comp authorizes uh, the transportation, in other words, if work comp provides the driver, then they're not going to be reimbursed for that because work comp's paid for the transportation. Zach, we'll throw it to you now. What what about those? Is there such thing as mileage reimbursement in the work comp setting for y'all? Yep, it sounds uh, pretty pretty identical. I think we're fifty six cents a mile, so uh, not not quite where you guys are at on that. But yeah, it's the same. Um, any medical treatment that's approved, uh, they're going to get mileage to and from. If there's an adverse medical exam that's scheduled by the insurance company, that transportation to and from is covered or, or the mileage would be reimbursed. And then if they're also, they, they can get mileage if they're participating in an approved vocational rehabilitation plan. So job search, job interviews, um, somebody could be engaged in a formal retraining plan in Minnesota where they're going to school. So that stuff can all, that, that transportation can all be included in that too. Yeah, that's one of the few I would call benefits that actually helps out our our injured workers. Zach, let's move on to what we call retaliatory discharge. And what that means in Alabama is if you're maintaining a work comp claim and you're terminated from your employment and the sole purpose or reason behind the termination is because of maintaining a work comp claim, not because you violated laws or safety protocol, but because you're maintaining this claim, you cannot be retaliated against and have your job terminated. Is there such a, a mechanism? Is there, are there any laws that protect injured workers in Minnesota based on this similar set of facts or, or scenario? Yep, we have uh, protections for that. It's actually, it's, it's its own subsection of the Minnesota Workers' Compensation Act. It's chapter 176. And this is 176.82. So we actually just would refer to this as a 0.82 claim. And it, it covers exactly what you're talking about. The interesting thing in Minnesota is it's a separate civil action. So that actually needs, a, that claim needs to be brought in state district court 
separate from the actual workers' compensation claim. Is that also then, if, if it's adjudicated and tried, is it in front of the same judge who may also hear the workers' comp claim? Nope, completely separate. So the work the work comp court is going to be uh, the Office of Administrative Hearings in Minnesota, and so that's a that's an administrative workers' compensation judge. Mm -hmm. And then the the point A two, the retaliatory discharge claim that you're talking about, would be in state district civil court. And that's Dave. That's where we kind of diverge from Minnesota. Share how yeah. we we handle those two. Yeah. So, Zach, we in Alabama do not have an administrative system for work comp. When we have a, uh, a dispute, we go straight to the state trial court level, the circuit court level as a filed lawsuit. And we, too, have a retaliatory discharge statute, making it illegal for an employer to fire someone for making a work comp claim. So that's a civil case also. So. A lot of times you see count one in our cases is going to be work comp and count two of the complaint is going to be for retaliatory discharge. The uh, work comp case is tried to a judge only and the retaliatory, no, did I say that right? The, yeah, the work comp case is tried to a judge, whereas the uh, retaliatory discharge case can be tried to a jury. And the same judge can adjudicate both. He just severed them for trials. That's right. I like that. Yeah, it's it is. Uh, that's one of the things that really is. A, it's a becomes a very good strategy wise for our clients as well. And guys, we're we're getting close to the end of our our monthly work comp today episode, but we got one more area, and this sometimes is the most costly and most hotly disputed area, and that deals with medical care, medical coverage. It's, it's so expensive and begin, only becomes more and more expensive. Zach, do you have a measure, do you have a protocol or procedures through your comp laws that if you have a dispute with medical care of some sort, if you don't file a lawsuit or pursue that way, is there any other avenues to allow for an adjudication of medical disputes it, there is it's a little nuanced if, if you've got an accepted approved workers compensation claim you can do uh it's called a request for assistance with it which is the administrative path to uh handling a dispute with a medical only issue but but it's got to be a medical issue that's under seventy five hundred dollars if it's over $7,500, then that would go through the, the workers' compensation court system, and, and that would have to be adjudicated by a workers' compensation judge. It still is an administrative um, litigation process, but so that, that's the way to get those resolved. And Zach, how do they come up with who determines the cost involved? Well, typically you're going to have an actual recommendation for for the treatment or you may the treatment may have already occurred and so you know what the bills are mm -hmm. so you know if it's a recommendation for treatment we would just be looking up you know what is the fee schedule uh under the minnesota work comp laws for that treatment if it's a bill that's already incurred then we then we have the bill dave before i get to you we've got a question from the group and mr mosley i'll get to you in just a second Thank you for, for tuning in and, and submitting your question. Dave, we have several avenues in addition to litigation in front of a circuit judge to deal with that. We've got medical mediation through the ombudsman program. We have utilization review. Kind of briefly touch on those, how those sure. work. Sure. So um, if a, a physical therapy or, or an MRI is ordered by uh, the authorized doctor, or if surgeries or order, uh, work comp can send that to utilization review um, to determine if the uh, test, the surgery, the treatment is uh, reasonable and medically necessary and related to the work accident. So what utilization review means is they will send it to a doctor. They will send just some medical records to a doctor. Uh, that doctor could be many states away. 
That doctor can never have examined or laid hands on the injured worker. That doctor is just reviewing some medical records and some information provided to him or her by work comp to determine medical necessity. Zach, it could, I, be a, it could be a, a dentist looking at an orthopedic shoulder issue from another state. It's just, it's ridiculous, but go ahead, Dave. Yeah, so that doctor can agree or disagree. A lot of times they're going to disagree and say, no, 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 they don't need that. And then work comp will go to the injured worker and say, oh, sorry, we couldn't approve the x-ray or the therapy because the doctor out in New Mexico who never met or treated with says it's not needed. And so then the worker just thinks, okay, well, I, I, you know, and then they'll offer them 500 or $1,000 and settle their claim. Uh, hopefully that injured worker will, will call a lawyer and have a discussion and get some help at that point. Um, so that case is so that uh, injured worker does have some rights at that point. They can file a lawsuit and have a judge determine uh, whether the treatment's reasonable, medically necessary and related to the work accident. David, have they you can, ever had a circuit judge deny it? No, no. As long, yeah. <laughs> so the key here, Zach, is, 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 is does the authorized treating physician say that the treatment or whatever it is they order, yeah. is it reasonable, medically necessary and related to the on the job accident? That's the key. Those, that, that, if they that, meet that. Yeah, if they meet those elements, then 99.9% of the time we're going to be able to get that approved in court. Now, that's not an overnight process, of course, mm -hmm. uh, but it puts us in the it puts us it gives us the upper hand. Uh, Bernard mentioned medical mediation. That's where, again, if there's a dispute as to the uh, medicine, the treatment, um, we can present that to the State Department of Labor Ombudsman. And it's almost it's a mediation over the medical issues, which could, may result in a settlement. The settlement could be that the treatment's going to be authorized. The settlement could be that the injured worker has just paid some money and the claim is resolved and they can go treat on their own. Zach, either of those procedures, are they available in Minnesota? Uh, I mean, we don't have a formal like medical mediation program. So, but uh, there are mediations available through the Department of Labor. Mm -hmm. um, actually, our workers' compensation judges will host mediations too, which is really nice because you can, yeah. you know, it's obviously not going to be the judge that would try the case, but you can get insights and analysis from an actual work comp judge into what they think about your case. What would they do if your case was before them? Um, yeah, that, that does seem like a very good prop, uh, ability to do that. Yep, absolutely. So yeah, there's a variety of, of mediation options, but it's not uh, like medical specifically. Well, guys, we've before we get out of here, I want to thank Zach for his insight and sharing his expertise and and experience about how Minnesota treats employment laws and, and work comp. So Zach, thank you for, for hanging out with us today on work comp today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And guys, we do have a question. It's not on topic, but Mr. Mosley, if you're still there, here's the question, guys. How can I check to see how many hospital bills I have on my credit? And that is something we have, I bet you we've all dealt with many times. My initial response is, well, you need to contact each of the three main credit reporting agencies. You have the right to get a written report. You could probably have almost instant access to it if you, you sign up and go through the, the procedures that way. But that's a very important thing, particularly when you have a disputed situation. Zach or Dave, do you all have any more insight? Have you dealt with this recently? And what do you offer to Mr. Mosley about this? Zach, you want to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a great, that's a great place to start. That's going to show you if anybody's reporting derogatory on your, on your credit, if, the, if you have any of that out there, if, uh, you know, uh, if you have outstanding bills that are wrongfully outstanding, you may have claims against either the, uh, the, the entity that's sending that bill or the entity that's trying to collect. And so uh, we, we run into that quite a bit, actually, where we'll resolve a bill um, in, through litigation in a work comp case, and there ends up being a remaining balance that gets sent to a collection agency. And there's actually a, a viable claim at that point against the people trying to collect on it when that bill was actually resolved in your work comp claim. 
Yeah, we had a similar case, Zach, where uh, the medical provider accepted the, the scheduled rate, um, but and so they should have adjusted off, written off the balance, but they, the medical provider went after our uh, client to collect the remainder, and that violates the law. And you're right, that created a, a new cause of action in federal court against that medical provider under the Fair Debt Collection Practice Act. Um, the only thing I could offer to Mr. Mosley, other than what y'all said, which was contact the uh, credit reporting agencies, is contact the, the medical provider, contact the hospital, and, yeah. and see what uh, information they can provide him as far as uh, uh, what the balance is or where that, where that bill currently sits. Yeah, a lot of those... Yeah. Go ahead, Zach. Uh, a lot of those can get resolved with a phone call. So I, I agree with Dave. I would start there and then, you know, you want to follow up on your credit report and make sure that it's taken off and corrected. Yeah. Mr. Mosley, I put the link to one of our videos from our YouTube channel that may be of some assistance. We have several articles, I mean, uh, videos that talk about credit reporting and how to deal with that. So I hope that helps you. Uh, and you're welcome to contact us offline if you need further assistance. Zach, again, thank you for being with us today with a weekly, excuse me, monthly episode of work comp today we sure appreciate you being here with us yeah thanks guys thanks again for having me dave your insight as always was invaluable you get a gold star zach gets two gold stars but as we do each month we get we get kind of deep in the woods nerding out if you will on work comp matters and that's why we do what we do and that's why we do this program each month next month we've got malcolm crosland from the Steinberg firm. They have several offices throughout South Carolina. Malcolm's also an officer with Wilg, and I'm really looking forward to next. September 23rd will be our next monthly work comp today. Hope you guys continue to be safe, do the things right for your families, and we will catch you next month.